just going to hit and record. It was uh, cloudy. Sunsets there. No, there's no. The sun doesn't set in Mexico. It uh, rises. The uh, it was been it's been pretty cloudy the last uh, day or so. It was really hot, but uh, cloudy. Uh, we're recording, gentlemen. So uh, let's get uh, let's get our game faces on our game voices. Let's get yeah, going. I want to challenge that. What do you mean sunset? You're on the east coast where you are. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what you're saying. The sun sets behind you. It doesn't. You see sunrises, not sunsets. Okay. Yeah, well, a good, a good challenge. Good challenge. Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't there a challenge? Good. Did we you. have a conversation yesterday about him getting together with the friends or the you know neighbors? Oh, the uh, oh, talking to people as the sun goes down. Yeah. Well, the sun goes down, yes, but that's no sense. No, so you're right, not watching okay. the sunset. The sun goes down everywhere. Yeah. I just thought that they were on the beach and they're watching the sunset off in the horizon there. I like was. clarity. You no, know, I yeah. know what you're referring to, Dan, because I had mentioned yesterday the conversation I'd had with those gentlemen about what we all do for a living and how awkward it is. Um, you know, apropos of that, if it's okay with you, gentlemen, I thought I would. It, it's funny. I'm glad you brought that up, Dan, because. Uh, we got a, an email, and uh, it's, it's a, a, a highly unusual for us to do this, but every, once, every once in a while, guys. I like to refer Hi to guys. an email on a Hi non-email guys. show day. Mm-hmm. Would you like to hear this? Yeah, sure. This is from uh, Randy Wood, uh, which I always thought would have been a great porn name for you. <laughs> Dan. What's Dan's porn name? Randy Wood. Uh, he says, hi, guys. Stop selling yourself short by comparing yourself to other professions. This was the discussion I had with the uh, gentleman watching the sun go down and thinking they have more interesting careers than you and Fred. Well, and that's not completely what it doesn't matter. He says, I don't think you and Fred realize what an impact you have on your listeners. I know you have had incredible You've had an incredible impact on my life since I started listening to you at CFNY. Isn't that a nice thing to say? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's it? That's your only... Very nice. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Very nice. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. I didn't mean to... Would you like no, to go no, back? I'm sitting here looking at the email, and I, was, I thought you were just going to continue I'm going to continue, so. but I wanted to pause. That's, that was an impatient... Mm-hmm. Get okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Fine. Should we go back to the sunset challenge? <laughs> okay. Hey, by the way, we've gone, qu- we've gone quite a while without talking about the weather on this show. I don't think we mentioned it yesterday. Anyway, proceed. You could... Uh, Randy goes on to say, uh, you could make my day great through your humor or make me sad if your show was about for example one of your pets passing i feel like i'm part of your family even though i have never met either of you again do you mind if i pause and say what a nice thing or is that is too impatient oh no it's wonderful yeah. when humble and fred were fired from various stations i worried about your well-being financially and emotionally well uh, yeah it's good. I appreciate uh-huh. that. There isn't a professional out there other than a psychologist or psychiatrist that could have had such an effect on our lives. Wow. Be proud of what you're doing. And if you want to shut up inquiries, tell them you're a poise. This is great. He says, if you, you know, in case anyone ever asks us what we do for a living, tell them you're a proctologist. Heart rate 72. BM's better than normal. Randy Wood. Well, isn't that nice, Randy? Thank you. Right on, brother. Very nice. Very nice. End of discussion or nothing you want to say about that? No, I, what, what can you say on the heels of that? That's a response to what we talked about yesterday. And, you know, 
We do have some level of bashfulness. What am I going to say? Yeah, you're right. We've had great everyone's lives. <laughs> you like, should. You uh, should say that. I I would just I would like to stay for the record. Randy Wood is correct, and we have had an enormous impact on people. We do wonderful work, don't we? <laughs> That's Jesus. right. Let's take that. You know what? I want to read it again and break it down <laughs> line by line. <laughs> anyway, thank you, Randy Wood, Dan Duran's porn name. Right, right on. Have you noticed? Have you noticed? Fred has got a, a, a whole collection of uh, uh huh. He says that all the time. So after the after a joke that he tells, he'll do a uh huh, and then there's a different kind of a uh huh that he did. Uh, just 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 listen for his uh huh. It's, mm. it's part of his. Uh, no, maybe I should beautiful character. That. What's that, Fred? Maybe you should want. Contin- I should maybe curtail that. But I haven't noticed it. But I'm not paying. No, atti- you, I'm not you, paying we attention. We sit in this forum, and it's yeah. like if we're just sitting in a room, and I'd probably be doing that, going, "Yeah, <laughs> yeah." I, I don't pay attention to you quite the same way Dan does. Dan studies your every move. What's <laughs> <laughs> Fred today? What's going to happen with Fred? What's Fred going to say? Um, what noise will Fred make? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, I can't. T- you know, I've only been listening to the I Talk for 34 years, but uh, no, I didn't yeah. catch that. I find it endearing. I'm not. I'm not criticizing, and you don't have to curtail anything. It just. Uh, it, it, right. just make, it makes me laugh. Okay. Thank you. Do did did bashful again? Let's did we on. have an effect on you uh, during the time you've been listening to us, Dan? The- <laughs> In the same exact way, yes. Um, you know that if I didn't have you guys, I would be you know wandering aimlessly through life, and you you know grounded me. So that's for well, goddamn you sure. Are wandering aimlessly. <laughs> <laughs> What's that mean? Yeah. Well, okay, grounding. At least oh, you worse. You mean? You mean <laughs> yeah, that's exactly true. My first instinct was to agree with him. <laughs> Could you imagine with that? Where would Dan be without this? nonsense train that we've been on for 30,000 years. Uh, should we start the show? Or I, Freddie and I were talking about, uh, you know, the situation in the world before the program. We were talking about the Buffalo Bills. We're going to get to that. We were talking about the issue with uh, Hamas, uh, Islam, uh, Jews, etc. And then I went off to get a coffee. And I had been talking to Fred Dan about the... Uh, this the, the idea of infatata and do you know what an infatata is it's basically holy war okay for you right. people who don't know so holy war which again you know goes back to my theory about religion uh which is, is i know that's not endearing to you but you know the idea that there's actually a religion that you know, they're part of their religion is to wage a holy war anyway i went off to make a coffee and, and i came back and fred said i could hear me giggling and he said, what? And I said, oh, nothing. I was just sort of smiling. <laughs> what I was doing is while I was making the coffee, I thought to myself, you know, it would be a lot less threatening if instead of saying infatata, they said it this way. Infa. Ta-da. <laughs> I just couldn't. Once I said it, I was going, hey, are, you, are we? Hey, guys, are we going to raise a holy war? You mean uh, infa? Ta-da! <laughs> you know what I thought, Howard? Honestly, it's funny how we think. I was thinking infatata. It sounds like, you know, it sounds like a hot beverage. Oh, I'll have the infatata, please. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Ooh, that infatata was... You know what would be good? It's, it's, a, cold, it's a cold day. <laughs> it's a cold day. I could really go for an infatata. Do you have a hot infatata? <laughs> Do you mean an infa... Ta-da! Ta-da. <laughs> or hey, I, now that hey, if you didn't laugh, yeah, if you didn't laugh, you, you, didn't laugh, you oh. get your fucking head cut off. 
<laughs> Dan, Dan, did you find that endearing? A very endearing okay. thing. Are you keeping me grounded here? Or, or, or now that we've said it, <laughs> what's that? Uh, is it the Lion King? True, man. True. If they just said it like the Lion King, Akuna Fatata. <laughs> <laughs> An invitata. All right, let's get started. Oh, that's not it. That's not the let's not get started. It. Okay, here it is. This episode of Humble and Fred is being broadcast to the world from our mobile state-of-the-art Humble and Fred studio in Porta Aventuras, Mexico. And from our well-equipped basement facility in Brampton with a brand new tablecloth. And from a street-side porch in Stratford. That is brought to you by the Retirement Sherpa, the Chambers Plan, Boron One, evnet.ca, and Palma Pasta, along with returning sponsors, Bodog and Kelsey's. And now here are two men who missed the Sears catalog days so they could look at all the shiny new Christmas toys and check out the lingerie section. It's Humble and Fred. Infa. Ta-da. Hi, everybody. We got a, we got a jam-packed show today, so we got to keep on uh, track. Michael Smith looking very forward to talking to one of Canada's most celebrated chefs. And cuisine experts. We're not just going to talk about tipping. We're going to talk about Michael's new book. I don't have the actual information in front of me. I think it's his 14th. Did I read that, Freddie? Uh, Something like that. looking at it right now. Uh, 11 cookbooks have all been bestsellers. His uh, newest cookbook uh, is coming out. It's called uh, Farmhouse Vegetables. And uh, we're going to talk to him. Also, another uh, interesting book, uh, Mark Coakley. We're having a couple authors on today. Author of Shroom Boom, Canada's Psychedelic Pioneers. I, I think we were part of that. Actually, in the book, he mentions our relationship with Todd Shapiro. Todd, of course, for a while was a sponsor on this program from Red Light Holland. And so you and I, once again, you know, on the leading edge of uh, something where years ago we were talking about micro dosing and I had tried it several times. And uh, so we're going to talk about uh, Mark's uh, how, and, and where I think we're at now is kind of like the world where there was that gray market just prior to legalization. I don't when you guys have seen this downtown at all, but there's several places you can now go into and buy magic mushrooms in Toronto. Yeah. Oh yeah, baby. Yes. But they're illegal, right? Well, that's the that's what we're going to see. We're sort of on the edge of legalization in terms of the uh, effects of of microdosing psych, uh, psilocybin. Not so much just the, yes, yeah, you can, you know, you take a gram and a half of mushrooms, you're going to be high. But if you take 200 milligrams of it, you're not going to be high. You're just going to feel some different right. effects. And they're using it in all kinds of in, in all kinds of ways to battle depression from that to enhancing performance. Anyway, that's I wonder. Uh, yeah. Speaking of Todd, ta-da, ta-da. Um, um, we haven't heard from him lately. I wonder how he's doing. Sweet man. He reached out to me this summer. He's moved, I think, permanently up north. He was uh, up uh, oh. near... I can't remember the lake, but there's a golf course near it where you can only boat in. So maybe somebody knows the name of that place. That's where he's he built a place up there. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dan, you, you boat into the golf course. Yes, it's uh, it's on an island. Oh, so you can only get there through wow. like boat plane, uh, you know, boat plane. <laughs> and is it like a really? Yes. 
It's a really nice golf course. Like exclusive golf course, yeah? Well, I no, I think it's open to the public if you can. Mm. Anyway, that's what Todd's doing. Also, while on the show, like I said, we're going to talk a little bit of the Bills' <laughs> epic meltdown at the end of, uh, well, not a meltdown, but just a, a crazy tr- Maple Leaf thing that happened. Um, also, uh, Freddie said to me before the show, Dan, that uh, there was some information about an, if, if there were an election held in Canada today, just what kind of impact the uh, the Pacific Conservatives, the Progressive Conservatives, would have? Yeah, this will send you want to you want to talk about being in a depression. This will send Dan into a depression, definitely. Without I a heard doubt. they were, I heard they were doing some some work in Northern Ontario trying to to flip traditional liberal. Um, writings into to more of a conservative. Oh, they don't need to that anymore. Listen, to, listen to these did you numbers. Want to talk, did you want to talk about this now? Yeah, bro. Okay, Abacus data. What they did is they take apparently all the polling from across the country and put it all together. And uh, they said if an election was held today, the liberals would lose more than half of their seats. The Pierre Pouli of conservatives would get a solid majority over 200 seats. The liberals would be less than 100. How do you explain that? How do you explain that? Well, I mean, seriously, we sit up here in Canada and we take shots at the Trump, you know, the whole Trump situation, who, by the way, has just actually intimated that, yes, he will consider Tucker Carlson as vice president. Isn't that great? Um, But, you know, we lob, you know, volleys at them. And then here we are in Canada, you know, making what appears to be a severe right here. Well, Uh, my reaction when you first told me this in our pre-show meeting Part of my reaction was, you know, every eight to 10 years, if there's a, you know, whatever party has been in power, traditionally, the other party will sweep to power. You know, I mean, I mean, the worst example of that, as I always mention, was when Cretchen beat Mulroney. The first time that Cretchen got into office, it basically there was only two. Do you remember this, Dan? There was only two seats left in the conservative party mm-hmm. oh yeah I remember so they were part of so let's say in your your information there fred that you know they would get 200 seats some amount of that is just the momentum of enough of one government totally agree with that theory however in this situation what i find somewhat i don't know what the word is alarming whatever um you know, that is the transition of traditional governments. That's the ebb and flow of, you know, traditional government. Given the profile of the Poliev government and what they are accused of and what they are predicted to be on the verge of and doing to Canada, um, I'm just surprised that it's that severe. Um, like, what's going on? Like, for Donald Trump to still have half that country following his whatever you want to call that um and then here in canada and, and don't and don't get me wrong i mean i i uh, you know i've said a million times i don't want to vote for pierre trudeau or uh, for pierre or for justin trudeau i'd love to move on from the liberals but i take i gotta take a long hard look at at that option but it seems a lot of canadians uh, have already made up their minds this might surprise you but i don't think you can compare pierre polyev in terms of his political acumen and understanding of how the world works 
to totally agree. the orange doofus. Oh no, totally. Uh, I mean, agree. yeah. There's All a, I'm saying it's of it's of that ilk. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's of the you pop. I mean? It's of yeah. the populist ilk, but only only to a degree. I mean, at, at least here's the thing. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna vote for the guy, but I can tell you this: he'll have an understanding of government in a way that Donald Trump doesn't. And, oh, isn't, and isn't going to do away. I mean, remember, and Dan, this might give you some, I don't know, help you sleep better knowing that this guy could be the prime minister. As I've said many times, in Canada, there is just an, and usually in the, and usually in the States, although we've seen that decimated, there's a very narrow window of what whoever's in charge can do. Mm-hmm. So that inside that narrow, I used to refer to as airspace, the airspace they're given, considering the way our politics works. Yeah, he's going to have an effect, but not he's not going to decimate Canada the way that if Trudeau, if Trudeau, if uh, Trump gets elected, you know, he could literally do away. He could have an effect as president uh, in a way that our prime minister doesn't. Yes, you're right on all those counts. Thank you. I say Ta-da. I get back. To, I get back. Just the ilk, the feel, what people say about Pierre Polyev, and I will not sit here and say I will not vote for him. You know, when it comes crunch time and you have to look at the issues and look at the sides and look at the platforms, I'm not going to say I'm not going to vote for the guy. I'm going to have a look, and that's the problem with a lot of politics. Like probably Dan, you're saying there's absolutely no way he would vote conservative, no matter who the person was, whether it was Pierre Poliev or some other guy. There's just so much of that where no, I would, I'm not even consider that side. And to me, that's as dangerous as other options. Well, you're but, perhaps I mean, a lot of a lot of the country is like that. Go ahead, Dan. I think Fred, you're perhaps right in that I just don't don't consider the conservative platform something that I'd you know warm up to but you know they're they're and here's one of the things the conservatives are, are doing now and maybe the liberals are as well but i've yeah. noticed more recently that the uh which really bugs me as opposed to you know arguing issues which the official opposition should be doing it's like okay here's here's a and, and uh, our local uh in peterborough the uh, uh our member of parliament she is uh uh well i'm not a huge fan of her for a lot of reasons, but one of the things that I like, okay, she makes, she does something great or whatever. She makes a great point, but always puts in there something about Trudeau doing something horrible. It's always specifically some character assassination about Trudeau rather than saying, well, here's what's going on with the government right now. And we need to fix it because, you know, there should be more funds going over here because of such and such It's mm-hmm. a policy idea. It's more of a character assassination in that whole thing. It's always snuck in there. And it just it just bugs me. It's not that's not what government should be. Oh, about. so she's a politician. I, I um, <laughs> yeah. And not I, only but that, I can see why I can see why it bugs you, Dan. It's because it's part of the annoying, the annoying job of being in opposition. It's to be opposed. But not only that, too. But and and, and I don't even know how much of it's valid because again, the rubber hasn't hit the road yet as far as a Canadian election goes. And maybe I should have more t- spend more time with it. Look at the way Poliev's vilified at every turn, even by Trudeau. Trudeau can't open his mouth without taking a shot at Poliev right now. And he's not even empowered. So that's another thing that bugs me. 
What bugs me is what you just said. You know, the way people, you're totally conscious of anything a conservative does towards a liberal, Mm -hmm. but you don't notice it the other way. Well, I think people notice it, but I also think that's just politics. I mean, you know. Sure it is. There's nothing that surprises me about what you said, Dan, that, you know, but Mm -hmm. when you're in the opposition, life's easy. You don't have to have solutions. You just need need to be critical. Mm -hmm. And I do think people notice that the way that liberals... I mean, there. Listen, the problem with politics again. I've said this before: is there just should it should all just be a term? It should be like being on the board of a of a of an organization where you're given a function, you're there for three or six years, and then you're done. Because most of what they do, to your points, is that they're always polit- politicking. They can't just fix a problem and shut their face. They have to fix a problem and then criticize the other or because they're always running for office. That's my point. Right. And something else, you know, you said there's only that certain window or level or however you put it. You know, that's the way I look at it now. You know, uh, government is just like uh, I've said it before. It's just this hodgepodge in the middle that never really changes. How often do you hear people say that? It doesn't matter who's in power. It's always the same. And it's so true. What we have to worry about is the decency around that. And that's what concerns me about the United States. Even if Trump gets in with his whack job ideas and, you know, uh, uh, administration, America will probably react by giving the Senate and Congress to Democrats, which can severely hamper a lot of what he wants to do. So the point is, the decency factor right now is... What concerns me, and that's why when people talk about Pierre uh, Poliev and piss all over him, you know, half of it I'm thinking, you know, how much of this is true and how much of this is not true? Because there's so much of that bullshit going on, too. So it's up to all of us as individuals to do your due diligence. And and no, yes. And as we said before the show, the problem with most people and, and I don't know that this is because of social media. It just happens faster. Because of social media. But, you know, yeah. it, it took 10 years in the 1930s mm-hmm. for the government of Germany to get their citizens into this frenzy where they would accept this idea that they should exterminate a certain amount of people. But Howard, but yesterday on MSNBC, which I watch a lot, and I'm telling you, I watch all three, and they just seem to be the most rational. Yes, they lean to the left and everything, but they, they really present both sides all the time. You know, and I, I, I like their idea of if this, how is this good for Donald Trump, they'll say. No, I know. And from that, people might actually say within that that he's done, you know, he's not completely crazy. There's a couple of things he makes sense on. And I think that's fair because, again, you just can't wipe people away. But they did a timeline of the Hitler thing and how close it is to what Trump's doing. And you just said over the 10 years. I mean, we're, we're going back to 2015 now. That's we're right. at year eight. We're yep. at year eight. And by the and time... This timeline... By, by, yeah, it, think about it. By the time he took office in 2025, it would be 10 mm-hmm. years. And put a pit in my stomach. Right down to ref- the word vermin. I oh, think yeah. you mentioned that yesterday. Yeah. It's right out of... Uh, it's like out of a... Te- well, it's out of... Um, what is it? The man Third Reich. Or- yeah, Mein Kampf. Yeah, it's... I'll tell you, man. The people down there have to wake up. Years ago on the show, and again, I keep... I hate keep... There should be a new noise, Dan, for when we said... When, when we reference something we've said a million times. But a few years ago, I, I was talking about Trump. 
And my friend Jeff Lumby heard it, our friend. And he sent me a note saying, oh, you're being a little dramatic because I was comparing him to Hitler. Now, at the time... I remember that. I, I totally remember that. I thought the same exact thing, that that's a little extreme. That's a little extreme. That's what Lumby said. Yeah. He said, oh, that's a bit much. It was at the time, Howard. Because we, we couldn't conceive where this was going. But I'm not saying... But you just had that feeling. The, the, I mean, what I'd read and the kind of fervor of people. And I want... I'm, you know, anyway, so it's, it's not like, oh, I was so smart. But you could see it. And, and not that I'm happy I'm right. I'm, I'm, it's just you... His whole world, the whole MAGA movement is like... It's like Hitler Youth. They, mm-hmm. they blindly... The point I was going to make about social media versus 1930s. What happens with people now, and we've seen it with the massacre of October 7th, how quickly people form opinions based on almost no information. That's the part that I find... And this, by the way, helps make your point about Pierre Polyev. I know I haven't done enough due diligence on the guy. I just part of it is I just haven't I haven't bothered, but I can guarantee you, Dan and and Mike Boone and and the extreme people, <laughs> the Indians. <laughs> I, I, I know you haven't, and, and no fault of yours because because I'm more in the middle than both of you, and I haven't. So back to the idea of October seventh, like most people have formed an opinion about Israel based on some stuff they saw on their Instagram. Mm-hmm. They don't know any of yeah. the history. They don't know any of the shit that's going on there. One other thing before we move on from Trump, you know, this whole thing, oh, you have Trump derangement syndrome. That's what people say, you know, anybody that's against Trump and that backs Trump, oh, you have Trump, you have, uh, what is it, TDS, Trump derangement syndrome. You know, and our buddy that we used to work with at the mix years ago, Freeway Frank, he has a podcast now, The Drive-By, and honestly, the guy just embarrasses himself every time he opens the microphone, because it's, again, a lot of it is just based off stuff off the top of his head. And he used that. I was listening to one of his shows the other day, and I honestly find it hard to listen to, because I'm thinking, who is this? This isn't the guy I knew. But anyway, um, he taught, he was mocking people for Trump derangement syndrome. And again, I felt like sending him something said, we better all have Trump derangement syndrome. It's something we should all have and, and, and hopefully most Americans get. Because I think that's a good thing right now. You should be totally deranged by what this guy is doing based on what is coming. So don't use that as some defense of the guy. I think anybody that's deranged over his actions is actually tuned in. <laughs> You know, when people are, he's got 91 indictments, four different cases. And I have, you know, just like you, most people, I I have this sort of Mm -hmm. weird, like, fantasy that maybe one of these things will stick and it will disqualify him from being president somehow. Mm -hmm. But to his followers, a conviction. You You want to talk about his numbers going up? You know, our friend Adolf went to prison and and he came out of it stronger than ever before it only helped the movement if trump goes to gets indicted in some way where he where there's a conviction it's only going to improve his polling numbers right you know and that gets back to what we've uh, also said before on the show it's you know you just can't throw a blanket and say oh they're simpletons they're dunderheads they're goofballs i mean there's a big you know that's a good measure of it but the question is why why now why are so many people gravitating to that and again in canada i know he's no donald trump but just his image so many people want to 
create that image around Poliev like Trump. And probably a lot of it is not justified. But why, when I give these numbers today, why is Canada in that position right now where they're ready to embrace, again, Trump super light? What, there's a reason. And what is that? Well, if you look it's around the, the world, it's economics. Yeah, it's, 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 think about it. Know, our, our, yeah. The conditions that exist in Canada and the United States are, exist all over the world. You know, higher cost of living, inflation, um, people having trouble paying their rent and populist governments have popped up before. I I came up with this phrase the other day. I've been thinking about this. They just like when you hear these guys sort of the comedy central guy, Dan, and a few other guys online will interview Trump supporters outside of a Trump rally. You know, I played that clip a few weeks ago where the guy's like, you know, talking about guns. He goes, you can't fight fire with water. You know, those type of people. Jordan Klepper, that's right. Is it Klepper? Jordan, yeah. K-L-E-P-P-E-R. So just like those people, recently I've seen some interviews with some kids on these college campuses who all they know is from the river to the sea and they have no idea about any of the history of the region. You know, to to their credit... Some credit I give them that they're so they're so empathetic with the people they believe that Israel's creating a genocide on the Palestinian people. That's that's what they believe. And, you know, young people can believe what they want. But there was a, a guy was doing some interviews like the Trump people. And he interviewed this young woman. And in her mind, he said to her, you know, uh, what, did, what did you think about October 7th? In her mind, Israel attacked Hamas. That's what she thought happened on October 7th. And I wrote down this. I said, all the, these are the Trumpers of anti-Semitism. These are the, these Trumpers of anti-Semitism. They don't know the history of it. All they know is this has given them an opportunity to say Jews are bad. But to some degree on these campuses, they're not even saying Jews are bad. They're just saying this thing they've heard and they've caught on to the idea that Israel's creating a genocide on a people to them it's just like being a Trump it's like Trump deranged it's not Trump it's like being in MAGA this is the MAGA of the anti-Israel movement yeah I agree and total and you know another part you know and you gave me another example yesterday and I won't mention names or anything but you know this whole sort of can you call it a movement this whole woke movement yeah. it's so dangerous to question any wokeism or you're crushed, you know what I mean? Um, and it's just, some of it's running wild. And it, it's exactly what you said there. It's all this superficial view of what's going on. And, of course, the easy way is to go, you know, become a bleeding heart for everyone or that situation without really knowing why. And again, there's so much of that going on. That's why, you know, I've said a few times, you got to start pushing back on the wokeism a bit because, you know, a lot of it just isn't, it just doesn't live in reality. Sorry, it doesn't. You know, think about 9-11 and we're only one month removed from this. Re- this, you know, I, I, you know, I've sent you guys some articles and, you know, I, I, I've got a bunch of clips of things people talking about what happened on that day and the amount of it's not like collateral damage from an a war that's a missile being fired it's just hacking people to death and burning them alive you know you can say what you want about israel and have a position on what they should and shouldn't do should and shouldn't do in the middle east but they're not hacking people to death but but to 
to a month from 9-11, people were still talking about this incredible attack that happened on the U.S. Nobody is talking about the attack on Israel. All that you hear in the news is ceasefire, humanitarian, uh, the terrible, it's a terrible war. Absolutely agree with all those things. But... But if, if like what you were saying, Freddie, somebody has, if Mexico did uh, what Hamas did to, to the Florida, state, to yeah. Florida, no one would be caring about how many Mexican people were being killed. Like Americans didn't seem to mind 450,000 Iraqis being killed to find some fantasy weapons of mass destruction. No. They just wanted some brown people dead. Yes. I think it was on the CTV news site today. I mean, there's a picture of baby. Uh, they're alive, but babies literally piled on top of each other in that Hamas hospital. And, oh, look at this. Isn't this horrible? Well, I, I don't recall because I go to CTV news every day. I don't recall seeing any pictures of the butchered, tortured people in Israel from October 7th. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, yeah. w- what is that all about? Dahl and I went to uh, Palma Pasta yesterday and driving through Brampton from the Seniors Club. We had a wonderful, had a wonderful workout at the Seniors Club. Oh, by the way, I've um, got that on my list. I don't know if we're going to get to the Seniors workout today. but wait a minute. Listen, <laughs> I, I've said it all. It was wonderful. Okay. Great moment. Did you buy a sandwich? Dahl and I have some great laughs, too, over my incoordination. Huh? I'm Did you buy a sandwich at the, uh, the no. commissary there? No, we went to Palma Pasta. No, we went to Palma Pasta. And ate. Oh, but anyway, it doesn't matter. Anyway, we're going by this, you know, a, a big protest. I forget, Queen and McLaughlin or whatever in Brampton. And all these shoot sites, stop the genocide and, you know, and, and uh, you know, free Palestine. And I said to Dahl, where's the sign that says surrender? Hamas surrender or Hamas should surrender because if that happened, it would all end tomorrow. And I said, all those people on that street corner to me, like, I don't see anything about that. It's just all evil Israel. Like you said, Howard, the first part never happened. Well, the first part did happen. And if Hamas surrendered and came out of their holes today and surrendered, you know, as the Palestinian people should be demanding, because what Hamas did is, 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 has, you know, let's put a target on all of them. Where is that aspect of it? Well, as I said, that 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 it's almost like October seventh isn't part isn't convenient. Yeah. Like I guarantee, if I went over to those people that were protesting yesterday, or anybody protesting around the world, and mm-hmm. started to have the conversation, what about October seventh? Mm-hmm. I'd be shouted down. That's why. I mean, I said this to the person I was talking to yesterday about this. I said, somebody has to explain to me. Why pictures of hostages that are still being held in Gaza are around the world? People are tearing them down. Why is that? Why can't both exist? Why, why do you have no empathy in your heart for what happened? You know, I'm looking at an article from, uh, uh, I, I was going to send it to you guys as well, but basically the IDF uh, published some an article basically after they, the Israeli defense uh, force after in, interrogating uh, Hamas, Hamas uh, people that they, they, they took that they captured. And basically what they said, the Hamas guys said the Hamas guys, the plan was to go from house to house, throw grenades and kill everyone there, including women and children. What they were promised was for every hostage they brought back to Gaza, they would get $10,000, and an apartment. In 
you know, I, I'd like to read more of it, but it's just so horrific. And, and for some reason, no one seems to find any, you know, any room in the protests for this. I know. It's like, it's like if ISIS did this back in the old ISIS days, it's like mm-hmm. people have taken the side of ISIS. Well, it just shows you, again, that, you know, this transcends October 7th. There's such a deep-rooted hatred for the Jews in Israel. Um, this is way it's this is how it's manifesting now by ignoring half of what happened like listen you know hamas was an elected government they made a mistake admit the mistake yeah that's the other thing should be, should be calling for their ouster look what look what hamas did to that should be the, to me and again i'm naive i'm just this goofy guy in brampton but to me, that should be the focus of Palestinians. Look what Hamas did to us because of what they did on October 7th. Look at the suffering we are, are going through now because of what they did. Hamas. We started this talk. We started talking about an, <laughs> an, an, an election with Pierre Polyev versus Pierre Trudeau. Hamas was elected the government of Gaza. All they did with money that they were given billions and billions of dollars, which could have made huge differences to the lives of the people of that part of the world. They built these you know super terror tunnels like rats and 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 for some reason that doesn't get into discussion when i again when i when i do have the odd conversation with people in my world about this it all seems to be you know one last point then we have to move on i was talking to somebody i know yesterday and they were talking about how they just want a ceasefire and that's great yeah have a ceasefire and humanitarian and we don't you know no one wants anybody to be killed obviously but one is collateral damage in a war that was started on October 7th, the third infatata, by the way. And I said to this person, do you not realize that every day since October 7th that the Hamas fighters have been lobbing missiles into Israel? And her response was, well, you don't see that on the news. I said, well, fuck, yes, you do. You just don't. The reason there aren't thousands of Israeli women and children killed is because their defense Uh, system is better it's not like hamas isn't engaged in warfare so where are the people protesting saying hamas also stopped throwing missiles at innocent people yeah yeah my conversation with doll yesterday who you know i'm you know she's pretty tuned into it all and that's what we were talking about you know you can't compare the two because it's what you just said Right now is collateral damage, and it's horrible. It's I wish it wasn't happening, but it could end today if Hamas, you know, released the hostages and surrendered. But the initial act, it wasn't collateral. It was an attack. It was a vicious terrorist attack. Attack. Yeah, the whenever, result, the reaction is collateral. Big wh- difference. Whenever I read, and I was reading this yesterday, whenever I read these stories, I have to kind of put it away because you know these aren't some you know faceless people from some foreign land that is they're people that are so different than us they're people that look just like me you know i'm reading here 
a woman and her two daughters, daughters aged 18 and 20, and the terrorist being uh, interrogated was saying, yeah, we went into their house. Uh, they, 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 they hid in the house, and we yelled for them to come out, and they wouldn't, so we threw in some fa- something to smoke them out, and when they came out, we fired bullets into the mother and the two daughters. But first the mother, so the daughters could watch their mother being you know, slaughtered by a bunch of bullets, and then in their terror, they were killed too. Well, that, my friend, is different than a rocket gun going off and a bunch of you know mortar flying everywhere right anyway anyway that's a fun this this, is another (laughs) another fun discussion of this uh crazy shit yeah we have to though because it's you know it's real time it's what's going on it's very disturbing and every day i fret over escalation um and it bothers me when I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. And again, am I naive or am I, am I a bigot or whatever? When I drive along the streets of my city where I've lived for 40 years in this beautiful, peaceful country and I see these demonstrations, I just want to get out of the car and say, fuck off. Take it somewhere else, please. I don't want to see this in Canada. Hmm. Most of you have come here to get away from this shit. Now you want to fucking do this? Piss off. The next time you of do, course, I would die. Yes, I of course. I was gonna say, the, next, slit, the next time you do that, put on the uh, little uh, yarmulke for my wedding and, and do it. Let's see how that fucking works out for you. <laughs> um, all right, uh, Dan Duran, thanks for uh, joining us. Dan, we'll come back. We got a couple interviews. So uh, after Michael Smith, pop back in. We're going to do the Dan Duran news, and then we're going to talk to the other author uh, at the end of the show today. Uh, it's uh, our little program, Humble and Fred. You know, a wide ranging. Uh, series of discussions i just wonder if those guys i met on the beach a couple nights ago if they tune in today they're like oh this so this is what you talk about uh we also have uh the luxury of being supported by some very fine people yes like the chambers of commerce group insurance plan brett tanner was on the show yesterday and uh, gave us an update of where they're at all the new products available uh how cost effective it is for small business how you know, they really, really put a lot of effort and into keeping premiums under control and compared to other insurances, even health insurance. The Chambers of Commerce Group Insurance Plan is a nonprofit organization, does a very, very, very good job of that. And as Brett said yesterday, they've actually now sole proprietors. That means, you know, one person companies can now be part of this. Again, if you meet the criteria and have the profile of what you need to be to become part of the Chambers of Commerce Group Insurance Plan. And again, I've told you time and time again about the different coverages. It's dental and it's prescriptions and it's travel and it's mental health and therapies. It's all there. Please, like several Humble and Fred listeners have done, take the time today. Find out what it will cost and how your small company can become part of the Chambers of Commerce Group Insurance Plan. You mentioned uh, hanging out at Palm and Pasta. Of course, they're the uh, sponsor of our email show. And technically, we did do an email today. So a little shout out to our friends, uh, Anthony and the staff at Palmas Kitchen, where you were at. And of course, all the Palma Pasta locations, four in total, one in Oakville, three in Mississauga. 38 years of delivering quality Italian food from fresh pasta to sauces and prepared take-home entrees. Speaking of delivery, if you can't get to one of their locations, they do cater and they will service your home or corporate event. If you're thinking of putting something together for your uh, staff at uh, the holiday season, Large or small, Palma Pasta delivers in the GTA, and you can order online. 
at palmapasta.com. Uh, I, uh, I'm off the, uh, off the page with uh, Zoom in it. So Michael Smith uh, will be joining us here in a second. So let's not uh, start anything new. We got about 60 seconds before he's supposed to uh, join us. My goodness, time flies. Well, you know, that was, uh, that was, uh, that really was, if you think about it, going back to how the show started and how we started with <laughs> some nonsense and we had some fun and then it just evolved into whatever that was. But, uh, you know, that's what happens sometimes. You know, it's a, yeah, it's a sign of the times. I was going to say something to you the other day, um, before the show and, I was going to say kind of like around 2017 or so, 2018, maybe the fall. There was one fall where you and I intensely spent a, a great amount of time talking about Trump. Some mm-hmm. maybe to our maybe to the detriment of our broadcast. And I was going to say to you the other day, you let you let me know when I'm when I'm when I've gone too far because I could talk about this every day. I'm trying not to, but I you know I can I know you do. I'm not saying you don't. I have pretty strong feelings about this because of a lifelong distaste for all things religion. But you know I, I just want to keep it balanced because not everyone wants to hear me rant about this. You know because I'm supposed to be doing funny shit. Uh, yeah, but it is. It is, you know, it is what it is. It's what we're living through right now, and you're passionate about it, and I can understand why, so that's what this show is. So take it or leave it. Basically, really, you know, we'll move on. Although you did say one funny thing. You said, you know, people that just, you know, look like me, and I thought, fuck, a whole nation of Larry Davids. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> the whole fucking, <laughs> half the population walks around looking like Larry David. Oh, okay. Well, some of us do. <laughs> Some of us do. You know, I saw Larry David on that, um, what was I watching, Albert Brooks documentary? Yes. I don't look anything like Larry David. (laughs) No, but it's fun to pretend you do. You know, I'd rather, I think I look more like uh, Gary Shandling. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I think so. That or a lot. Hey, you know, yeah, you know what, you know what they say, all of us, we look, all of us look the same. Um... Yeah, so we could talk a little bit about how the Bills game ended yesterday. I didn't watch the game, but I watched. I love this that they have a 15 minute. What do they call that? Like a game. What would that be called? Recap. Like, recap. Recap the entire game. Right. All the significant plays. Yeah. And I'm watching it. I'm watching it. And all of a sudden, the Bills are up 22 to 21 with 40 seconds left in the game. Mm-hmm. Now you take it. Yeah, pass interference call put uh, Denver within field goal range. And as time ran out, they kicked the field goal, and it was wide. And I'm sitting there on a couch going, boy, the Bills didn't deserve this, but 22-21, they got it. Hey, they escaped with this victory. And there was a flag on the play. And the Bills had 12 men on defense, too many men on the field. So the ball moves five yards closer. The guy gets a a redo and the kick right through the middle. And with time expired, they lose yet another game. Yeah. Crazy, huh? What it looks like. uh, Is it it Buffalo's proximity to Toronto? Is it just some Toronto stink on it? Uh, Just unbelievable. We can talk a little bit more uh, Bills uh, football a little bit later if we want. But first... 
Uh, we're thrilled to have this gentleman join us. Michael, can you hear us? I sure can. Uh, for many years, uh, we've all been watching this fellow on the uh, Food Network. And uh, he's become, uh, he sort of transcends just a guy that can cook. He's a member of the Order of Canada, Prince Edward Island's food ambassador, a best-selling cookbook author, innkeeper, educator, professional chef, and home cook, and he is our guest today, Chef Michael Smith. Hello, Chef. How are you? Hey, I'm good. Good morning, gentlemen. Good to see you. Innkeeper, is that true? Like, I could stay at the Michael Smith Inn if I wanted? Are you kidding? The Inn at Bay Fortune. That's why we're talking, because I'm not a celebrity chef. I'm a working chef. I yeah. get up in the morning, I go hard. And yeah, the Inn at Bay Fortune is uh, my family's business. Right on. You know, I've, often, I've been watching you for a long time. I went through a period about 15 years ago, right after I got divorced, where I had never cooked before. And then all of a sudden, I had my kids half the time and had to start learning to cook. Fred's been a, a fine home cook for as long as I've known him. But a lot of the things I learned from you and watching the Food Network, um, it, it really sort of helped me learn to... I think what I learned from you is that it, it, anybody can do it if you just try. And what I've always wondered yes. about you is what, what is the difference, though? You just said you're a working chef. What don't we home chefs know about working chefs? Like how much harder it is or what that life is really like? I mean, there's probably 50 ways to answer that question. But in the context of your personal experience, learning how to cook... The one thing pers- professional chefs know is, is we just have confidence that we can cook. And we don't waste a lot of energy or angst on that sort of thing. We just, hey, there's the kitchen, time to cook, cook. You know, and that, of course, is a huge stumbling block for so many of us out there, especially home cooks. You know, we've, we've got this double-edged sword of a media culture that has convinced us that there's this thing called perfection in mm-hmm. food. And that's ruinous. I mean, that's just ridiculous energy to to, uh, to chase. And so you say to yourself, I'm not even going to try. I'm mm-hmm. not even going there. Are you kidding? I don't do that. You know, so, I, I, you know, I think with, with the benefit of 30 years of hindsight, I can sort of look at my own teaching style and say, hey, so much of it is just first getting folks to say, hey, I, I want to do this. I can do this. A lot of that relates to what is failure. How does failure fit into that equation? You know, and how do we embrace that and, and all of that? And, and that's just good, solid life lessons in general. They get you cooking in your kitchen. Do you think some people are intimidated, though, because some of the cooking shows they watch, like uh, actual kitchens or like uh, high tension, you know, frenetic, scary places, actually? Sure, they're sure that's intimidating. I mean, if we're looking at professional kitchens or this, you know, this sort of version of kitchen that uh, Food Network has created for us, these, you know, these competition kitchens mm-hmm. or whatever. I mean, come on, aren't we smart enough to know that's entertainment? Are you really yeah. comparing your own home experiences? Are you using that as some kind of facile excuse to not cook because the the guys on TV are doing it? I mean, I, I call bullshit on that. I think that mm-hmm. uh, human beings should be smarter than that. The show I watched, and again, excuse me, I don't have the name in front of me, this, but the show you had when your son was young, and it was you doing... Chef at Home. Chef at Home. And what I loved about it, again, because I was just sort of learning to try different things, and as you say, to learn to fail in the kitchen a few times, and and that the premise of your of that show was you just sort of stuff you had around your kitchen and then you would cook it and then your son what's your son's name Gabriel Gabriel and then Gabe at the end would some of the stuff he would try and some of the things and he just you made it seem 
You made it seem possible is what you made it seem. Thank you. You know, I really appreciate that. That's 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 exactly it in a nutshell. It is possible, you know. So what are the barriers, you know, and off we go. It's just cooking. We're mm-hmm. humans. We well, think. And on that point, like, you know, not everybody can play in the NHL, but can anyone be a good cook if they put the work into it? Can anyone be I a think, good uh, chef? I think you're forcing me to quantify what is a good cook. Right. You know, because yes, of course you can. Because again, back to what I said, we have been convinced that there's this this thing called cook on a pedestal. Media has, mm-hmm. con- has created this this ridiculous imagery of what cook is, and I'm saying cook is just go get food, hopefully with a personal connection to your backyard, metaphorically, hopefully, mm-hmm. but just yeah. go get some food. Cook it and share it. You are now a cook. You are doing 99.9% of that job. And who the hell gets to tell you you did it wrong? And why is that even part of the equation? And right, you can have three or four spins on the same dish, right? And they can all be good. Of course they can. Yeah, I'm just laughing because my daughters are now uh, 25 and 29. But at the time I started to cook, they would be like, I don't know, 13 and 10. And I I went through this phase and Fred will tell you I'm all about phases. But I went through this phase where I was plating everything. I'd gone from never, never having cooked to like plating. You're all in. Dude, I was like, I was like taking pictures of my plating. Uh, Anyway, what I want to talk about is you have this, uh, because you say you're a working you're a working chef and uh, part of what you do is a, a restaurant called the fireworks feast it's one of canada's 100 best restaurants according to this and but there's a phrase here i want to ask you about has become one of the world's top farm to fork culinary experiences that phrase farm to table farm to fork it's become very popular these days but i've always wondered isn't everything farm to table it's not hey. I, isn't everything media? Isn't everything labels? Aren't we looking for stories? You know, I mean, I spent enough time in your seat to understand exactly the question. Yeah. For me, though, I got sick and tired of talk, talk, chat, chat, advocate, advocate. I want to get up in the morning and do it. You know, I spent 17 years in that media culture, often feeling like the only guy in the room looking at food. You know, everybody else staring at a prop. You know, so there comes a point where it's about doing it and forget the damn labels. You know, Farm the Fork sounds nice, but it sounds nice in so many places that don't deserve to use that phrase. You you know, we get up and do it. And if somebody else wants to throw a label on us, go right ahead. The fact is, we are a nine acre vegetable farm first, a culinary farm. A culinary farm exists for diversity and learning, teaching integrated into the soil. Our cooks work that farm. They come to work at our restaurant from all over the globe because they're not just going to look at a great farm and they're not just going to look at great ingredients. They're going to get their hands in the soil daily. Wildly compelling stuff. So if we want to call that farm to fork and the, the and the respect that's earned by those cooks when they work day after day and then after months and months you you see this this just incredible look in their eyes and the bells and the lights are ringing and there they are I grew this <laughs> that's farm to fork yeah that's and, not a label that's real you can't take that mm-hmm. away it's there forever and that's what I do you know that's what we do it's very real. And it's important, too, because a carrot isn't necessarily a carrot. If it comes from your, your backyard, there's a, there's a good chance it's going to taste a lot better than the one you bought at the grocery store, oh, right? Yeah. 
a good chance. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. It's going to taste better. Yeah. You know, carrot, which carrot? We grow what? Like 19? I can't keep track of the carrots. You know, they're we right. grow diversity and flavor and carrots that, that work well with our soil, with our terroir, because when that's all in harmony, then we get world-class flavor. Wow. When somebody comes, as you mentioned, people come from all over the planet to work with you because of your reputation. As and, and, and by the way, I wasn't trying to poke you there because you actually do. No, what, no, okay. no, but you do. You do the fart farm to fork. It's it's in your uh, DNA. It's also the property you work on. But sure. what? So when somebody, how does somebody get to work for Michael Smith? Like, what are you looking for? Uh, we're looking for somebody that can be their authentic self and fit within our collaborative system. Um, the, the thing that I think I'm most proud of at the Interbay Fortune is the work system. I, system's a big word, but just our culture, how we work together, how we so intent, <laughs> excuse me, focus on the day. Human terroir, I believe, is is the, just that sense of time and place here and now. And, you know, and as a young cook all those years ago, nobody ever in a million years took the time to consider the work culture or the degradation of the person based on the work culture. And all these years later, I, I would hope we're a little smarter than that. And and I know that in our case, trying to run a, a five-star business, the only five-star country in on Prince Edward Island, well, there's two, we own the other one too, but trying to run restaurants at that global level trying to do that you can't do that if your team is not engaged and happy and and passionate and in touch with them their authentic selves day after day after day and if if you are somehow pulling that off and charging a shit ton of money and people are paying it and your kitchen culture is flawed then why are you paying that money the end does Mm -hmm. not justify the means it's not right and so that's the thing we're most proud of is just that that work culture. And so if you want to come work for us, well, you, you've got to be able to join that culture. Mm-hmm. You've got to be somebody who can think progressively, who wants to wants to learn, who wants to move forward, who's not going to get stuck on whatever the damn mistake was and defend, defend, defend. You're still in the rearview mirror here, kid. Mm-hmm. We're we're on to the solution. Mm-hmm. You know, that's how we move forward. And. And again, it's all about that culture. We're not wasting this opportunity on anyone, you know. But that, so, that can you know. come. That can obviously within that environment come with a lot of pressure. Can you can you identify pretty quickly who can cut that and who can't? We can. Yes, of course we can. I mean, it's a meritocracy. We'll support you all heck out of you. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you work with us for a couple of days, you know, either you're delivering or you're not. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and let's be clear what you're delivering on. It's not, oh, my God, like they got all the prep done. Wow. The list. Tick, tick, tick. No, it's they arrived. They're giving themselves time to pace, to absorb, to learn our system. They're showing us their humbleness. They're showing us their ability to learn, to integrate that success. Well, you can stay with us forever on that level. And and many, 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 I mean, all our lifers came to us through that sort of path, if you will. Um, Is it, I'm going to ask two quick questions. Um, Chef Michael Smith is with us in case you just tuned us. And, you know, if you're watching us on Facebook, this is who that guy is. He's that guy. Uh, Quickly, have you ever seen the, uh, the series, The Bear? Oh, of course. Lived it. So, I love that show. I think, Freddie, you've seen it, right? 
Oh, all of it. Yeah. I, I, in fact, I was going to ask the same question. I mean, how how accurate is that? And what did you? So how accurate? That's how accurate is it? And what did you think of accurate. it? Accurate, accurate, hundred percent accurate. Right up there with Ratatouille. You know, now it's <laughs> now it's in the upper echelon of what chefs will actually sign on to. There's a lot of ridiculous interpretations out there of our actual kitchen culture. The bear gets it right, and the one thing it gets right, among many, many, many things, is the dream. We all have the dream, and that's right. what the series is mm-hmm. named after. And, and, you know, in that chef's case, it manifests as a bear. All of us have the exact same dream. So, yeah, it's real. You know, and what's real, too, um, is that it. I believe it's showing us that a kitchen culture can be progressive, that it can move forward, that it, it, shows, it shows us in the past, in the rearview mer- mirror, the worst parts of kitchen culture, the things that, that Buddy had to deal with Europe and in his past and so on. But we can see that he's fighting to do it right and move forward. Right. And I appreciate that. Because I don't of, think we always have to be this ridiculous negative trope. Because of the abuse he, he received. It's almost like... Uh, you know, a, a child and, a, and his parent. He he doesn't want to repeat the mistakes of the guy that mentored him. But I wonder, yes. you know, like lots of times you watch a sports movie or a baseball film and you just don't quite buy the actor as as that athlete. When you're watching a chef, like I can't remember the kid's name. He's awesome, by the way. Jeffrey, uh, something. Yeah, Jeffrey something. But did you buy him as a, as a high yeah. Michelin star rated chef? Yeah, he's intense. He's like, you can see it in his eyes. He's intense. And don't give me some, you know, sexiest man alive bullshit. You know, we're fringe. We're all marginal. <laughs> well, you know, like, yeah. one of us. Hey, Michael, quickly, look at us. We've been in the media our whole lives. We're, we're fucking fringe, dude. But <laughs> what I mean, too, is like, do you buy, did you buy his, his, his knife skills, his play? And did yes. you buy his yes. chef skills? Oh, yes, yes, and yes. As the further you peel those onions on that show, freeze frame the library shots. Every time books show up, you know, the freeze frame, we're all doing it. Like, I got that, I got that, I got that, I got that. You know, on and on and on. The way the knives are held, the way the knives are worn, you you know, like, everybody is on. The the authenticity is real, and you can't fake that stuff for guys like me and other chefs. Like, we're going to see it a mile away, and then the buzz is going to be all wrong. You know, part of the conversation has been the authenticity of the show. I think it's Jeffrey Allen Payne is his name. And what an endorsement. I mean, for anybody listening to the show that has hasn't seen it now you should really see it i mean yes. from that aspect yeah because it is it's great yes the other question i was going to ask you is you have these restaurants that are you know high level five-star restaurants the in at bay fortune the in at fortune bridge so obviously you're not i shouldn't say obviously if you're not on site all the time how confident are you that I mean, because you're a you're you're a very exacting guy when it comes to what is served in your name. So how do you step away and think, Okay, well, I can't go over to Fortune Bridge today. I can just assume that everything is as I want it to be. Yeah. To be clear, Fortune Bridge is another five star country and but not a restaurant. So we only operate the one restaurant. Okay, And we only operate it six months out of the year. And that's how. I choose to live my life because I am detail oriented and I, and I want to be present. And mm-hmm. the only time I'm not there is on Sundays. So I'm there every single day, 
you know, and I'm doing my job and, you know, to execute at the level we do, we obviously have a system and a hierarchy and people doing all the various jobs. So I'm fortunate to be surrounded by just so many amazing people. I'm so blessed. It's it's just one of life's great joys when you're surrounded by good people firing on all cylinders, doing something good, you know, and, and, and that's that's just what it is. It's pretty straight ahead. We had that conversation on this show yesterday, why Howard and I continue to do this. I mean, out of passion, obviously, because Michael Smith doesn't have to do what you do six days a week, but it just comes from the passion and the love. It sure does. It well, sure does. Are, are, people, know, are people, I'm sorry, Michael, are people freaked out when they come to your restaurant and they actually see you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they are. And I never understand why. I'm like, well, I would be. It's my restaurant. Where else am I going to be? You know, and, unless right. it's Sunday. <laughs> And people that freak out on Sundays are, are well, never mind. <laughs> um, Michael's also here, not, not just because he's heard how great this program would be for him, but uh, Michael's uh, 12th cookbook uh, is going to be, uh, is it released or it's, it's, here it says will be released. Has it been released yeah, yet? Yeah, it's all over the country okay. now. It's been on the glo- it is on the Globe and Mail list right now. You know, it's called Farmhouse Vegetables. If you're a fan of Michael's, uh, you'll want to get this and add it to uh, your collection. What's different about Farmhouse Vegetables? Is it a recipe heavy or is it sort of philosophical? It's a little of both. Um, you know, I've written a lot of cookbooks, and all the books I write now are from the Anna Bay Fortune, from our earned, learned experience. And this one is about the vegetable-forward cooking style that is that is not just ours. I mean, any healthy, reasonable human being is eating vegetable-forward and has for a long time. It's not vegetarian. That's not what we do. But we are so respectful of vegetarians, of course. But we're vegetable forward. And that's what this cookbook is all about. Just another, you know, and in our case, with a culinary farm of our own, with so many hundreds of different varieties growing on our farm that that, that I literally can't keep track anymore. It, it really has created a world of opportunity for us to learn from vegetables, to produce books about vegetables. You know, that it's such a gorgeous book. I'm so, 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 so stunningly impressed with the book, you know, to take every single recipe in the book and to shoot it in its vegetable patch. The cauliflower in the cauliflower, eggplant mm-hmm. in the eggplant, so on and so forth. It's just beautiful. So my, wife, my wife and I recently have had a lot of fun with red cabbage. Mm-hmm. And it's funny. You t- <laughs> yes, they, yes, they have. You, t- you talk about vegetarianism or whatever, but you know that we made, we made these red cabbage steaks thing. That could be your meal. Like I mean, you yeah, we don't. Yeah. I said this to Howard. I mean, you know, with a little bit of goat cheese on it and seasoning and everything, and this thing on the plate, I, I could eat that without any meat. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, what can well, be done with vegetables? Your yeah. generation fucked mm-hmm. it up. Okay, mm-hmm. <laughs> our generation ruined the planet with this meat forward thinking. Okay. The rest of the world, the, 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 I don't know, X, Y, Zs, I can't keep track of generational names. I just know that the kids around me are smarter than that, mm-hmm. and they exactly correlate planetary change, you know, climate change. We're all watching it right, right in front of us, and they get it. That wasn't oil and gas that caused that, huge contributor, but it's food, cheap food, cheap meat specifically, that fucking ruined the planet, people. Yeah, you know, yeah. get smart. Wake up vegetable forward is what we should have been doing all that time and all of us that walk around in this life bright cheerful accomplished we're eating vegetables 
You know, we're well, saving I, ourselves. We're saving the planet. I mean, Forgive for your, me for getting striving. Oh no, about yeah, seriously. This, and by the way, I'm if if done with that part of my life where I soft shoe, soft pedal. I get up mm-hmm. in the morning and I do it because it's the right thing to do. And cookbooks are nice, but most of you listening aren't going to buy my cookbook, and that's okay. It's okay, but please understand that your food choices are what really matter if we're moving this 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 earth of ours forward well even people who have half a uh, sense of the way the world really works you know have if you've traveled to italy or someplace greece you see how the rest of the world deals with proteins and vegetables although yes. i i was yes. gonna tell you you don't know we we do our show remotely so right now i'm in uh, mexico and recently i learned how to make a mexican a yucatan dish i was gonna tell freddie I, it's called co- cochinita pibil, and it's basically oh, yeah. slow roasted pork. I know sure. you're, I know you're all vegetable forward, but it was one of the best things I've ever made myself. And I was going to tell, all the I was, same. I was very proud of it. Vegetable forward cooking. That pork is vegetable forward because that pork is consumed in small amounts yes. with large volumes of vegetables. Absolutely. I mean, all those salsas and sauces yep. and all those things. So. It, that's the point. It's it's mm-hmm. still vegetable forward and all over the world where you are in the Yucatan. Wow. One of the best examples in the world of a culture and a cuisine found well, around vegetables. Well, you're right, because how I served it is you just shred the pork at the end. I cooked it for six hours and then you put it on a taco with pickled with a pickled onion that I made. I was very proud of myself. Um, yeah. You know, it's funny. I go and we'll go back to how this conversation started, because like 15 years ago, again, I started watching the Food Network. You were part of it. And people would ask me why I like it. And I said, because I like watching people on the shows that are good at something, even though I'm not. I said, it's the same reason I watch porn. Anyway, (laughs) Chef Michael Smith. So, Howard, this thing you made, how did you plate it? Because I know that's big for you. Well, in this case, I didn't plate it. I just you basically, I served it with the tacos and the pickled onions. Yeah. And, All right. Anyway, and even a little cilantro. A little, absolutely, top. a little cilantro. Okay, and you plated. Yeah, dude, it was cool. Anyway, um, Chef Michael Smith's uh, latest book is called Farmhouse Vegetables. It's available now. Buy it for people who. Uh, who need to hear the message of uh, vegetable forward cooking, Michael? You know, it's it was such a pleasure to have you on, and we'd let you know. I, and we always ask this to some special guests, if you would, from time to time, if we could ask you Howard, again. Yes, let me interrupt. I mean, the main focus, the reason we had Michael. Oh on yes, today. I forgot this. Yes. Is because we read an article in the paper of your spin on on tipping. Yeah, let's not wrap you up Ooh. just yet. We, I was going to yes. ask you if you'd come back sometime, but let's. Yes, this was one of the reasons we reached out to you. Because we've ahead. been pre. We talk a lot about tipping on the show and where it's gotten to, sure. and then saw an article one day in the paper. Your spin on the current situation of tipping and how maybe we should have a revolution when it comes to that. Yeah, well, there's that word spin. It ain't my spin. Okay, okay. There's something spin. We're talking about real-life human beings in our midst, fellow Canadians. It ain't spin. What it is is bullshit. Tipping doesn't work. Tipping marginalizes people. Tipping has created this bizarre culture where people like you go home and somehow legitimately feel like you can argue about the cost of the experience, that it's getting bigger or less. The real issue is not the people in the tip. The real issue is the restaurant that refuses to pay its people properly a living wage. And you shouldn't go to that restaurant anymore. You shouldn't be there. If you don't agree with, oh, the tip's getting too big or too low, or don't go anymore. Now, let me be clear. When I say I'm anti-tipping, I am pro-family. I am pro-hardworking Canadian. I am anti-tipping culture. 
There are so many things wrong with it. We have some of the world's leading studies on this being done in Canada, University of Guelph in particular, lots of great hospitality research done there, and all over the world. Not one single research study ever has ever once correlated tipping with service. It does not correlate with service. It's a dance. The only thing it correlates with is racism, misogyny, and sexism, Mm -hmm. and that's bullshit. Can you tell I feel strongly about this? Absolutely. This you know, I'm, not, I'm, Freddie, you I'm know glad, it's not spin. I'm These glad people you're... deserve to be seen and paid properly, and we're doing the world a disservice when we have the wrong conversation. Mm-hmm. It's not about whether it was 15, 17, 18, 30, whether it's rising. Right. It's rising because the operators are still stuck in a system that is so bound up in, in how it's always been done. That, that we can't all move forward at the same time. This is an enormous challenge that our industry is facing right now. Everybody knows it's flawed, but the transition is what's tough. Yeah, of course. Okay, what, what, there's your what, answer. I love that what, what, Again, sorry for saying spin. And um, what, does, uh, what do you do at your restaurant? We in my, so we're nine years in, we're heading into our 10th year of operation. After one year of tipping culture, I said, that's it. No more. Never again. We stop. And we simply say to the world, this is what it costs. And the hospitality is included. Right. And and so we price fairly and transparently. And why shouldn't we? What other industry do we go consume goods and services where the fair price is not put front and center? Absolutely. Why do we do this, people? We should have started this earlier. Michael, tomorrow. I apologize. We should have started this earlier because we do have another. We have another guest coming up, and we've got stuff to do. Because this, I, thanks for reminding uh, me, Freddie, because I forgot that one of the things. Because we talk about this a lot. The last thing I'll tell you, though, fifty-one percent. of restaurants in Toronto are either not making it or barely breaking even. So the operators, it's it's not all the operators issue. It's just that they're having more trouble operating in this culture than they have in a long time. Yes. Oh, we, we will have you back. Would you come back again sometime? Did you have a great experience? Absolutely. You don't need to tip us, <laughs> you by guys the way. Are awesome. Because great way to start my day. Well, listen, man, we appreciate it. Um, Michael back Smith. To my apple. <laughs> right on. <laughs> Chef Michael Smith's latest book is called Farmhouse Vegetables, available wherever you get uh, your cookbooks and such. Michael, thanks very much, my friend. All the best, guys. Have a great day. Yeah, you Thank too. Thank you, Michael. There he is. What a wonderful. There you go. There you see. We would have. Can you imagine we would have had that conversation with him, and we wouldn't have done the tipping thing? Just let yourself out, Michael. We're going to move on. You got to. You have to close your computer. He's eating an apple. He's eating. Michael, just shut your computer. There you go. There he's gone. All right. Before we uh, run into uh, another, uh, you say, Um, dude, thanks for doing that because I forgot all about the tipping. But that—that's fine. That next guy, he was uh, no, he's later. Just in the way, just stay in the waiting room until. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, No, that was great. Um, So why don't you do what you need to do, and then uh, I'll do what I need to do here. Well, we talked about the Bills last night. They were a seven-point pick, and, uh, you know, the result, they lost by two. Uh, what can you say? The Buffalo Bills may miss the playoffs now. At five and five, they have seven games remaining. they they got to win at least five of those to make the playoffs. It doesn't look good. Can you imagine that? Anyway, like, how did it get to this point? Because they, they, when, they when they lost the odd game, you think, oh, well, that's fine. They're going to be great. Yeah. 
But now here yeah, they you are. Need, you pretty much need 10 victories to get in the playoffs, and uh, they look a little fried right now. Anyway, whether you're a sports better, a horse racing fan, or a poker or casino player, Bodog, your number one source of online gambling entertainment, from their industry-leading odds, world-class sports book, and feature-rich poker room, to their fully loaded casino and race book, they've been providing Canadian players with an unparalleled gaming experience since 1994. Well, let me tell you something about food, Fred. Hockey fans, grab your friends and take a trip down the block to Kelsey's. Watch the game, enjoy a cold 16-ounce Molson Canadian draft, like every day for only like six fifty. Plus, you can enter your uh, for your chance to win original six hockey tickets. All you got to do is visit the Roadhouse to watch a game, get tickets, and uh, enter to win. Game night shouldn't be a tame night. Grab your buds and visit Kelsey's today, the original roadhouse. Kelsey's.ca for more information. And uh, since 1978, that's how long Kelsey's has been winging it. I want to remind you that every Thursday is half-price wing night at Kelsey's. Sauced and styled, how do you like them? And on those special days, you can get a $6 Coors. What are you waiting for? Grab your buds, head to Kelsey's this wing night and celebrate the start of the weekend the right way. Offer valid with a purchase of a beverage must be of legal drinking age. And please, drink responsibly. And now... Danderoodly. Hello, Danderoodly. Danderoo. Yeah. Um, is this a good time? Or you, you're, I, I know you're, you're, you're a good time. The, the yes uh, thing is a complicated thing. Daniel, um, this yep. is a very good time. Every, you know, there's not a bad time for Dan. There's no bad time. Our guest is coming in at uh, nine, so we're fine. Top of the top of the hours. Uh, I do want to mention. Not only did Fred talk about Bodog, but Bodog want to talk about Bodog. Looking for a way to relax after a long day? Come on. Tired of being notified by life's bells and whistles? Yeah, I'm going to get that draft tomorrow. When you're ready to stop working so hard, you know it's time to play. Yes. It's easy to find your next favorite game at Bodog.net. Play free casino games, check out our beginner's guides, and get poker tips. Visit Bodog.net today. Hashtag make a play. Mm, all right. All right. We do have time for uh, lots of time, actually. We just wanted to make sure you we got you in before our next guest, which isn't about uh, lots of time. Lots of time, man. Right on. Yeah, uh, you know, I've, I've been to, I haven't been to a lot of high-end restaurants lately, but I went to one uh, but a month ago, doesn't matter where, but it was, uh, they, I think a lot of those restaurants are now doing what chef Michael said, which is they're including the service in the amount you're charged. Yeah. You know, and this is probably a good time to do that too, because I, a lot of people are saying, Oh my goodness, have you seen restaurants, how the prices have gone up? It might be the time to make that leap and just absorb it. You know, and uh, just the it is this is the price, hospitality included, as he says. And is you know, it okay? The, to, I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, you know, on the misogyny and the racism, all that stuff works into it because you know the she might, you know, I'm okay. I don't want to stereotype, but you know, she might be a dunderhead waitress. But yeah. man, look at her body; she's getting eighteen or twenty. Absolutely. You know? I mean, that's what that's the first thing I thought of when he said misogyny. Like, mm-hmm. I, you know, I uh, went to uh, a restaurant at Sherway called the Cactus Club. I was there for lunch, 
And I'm, I don't know if they, how they do this, or is it inadvertent or whatever, or ver- overtly. But the, the wait staff was extremely attractive. Same with that other restaurant. Dan, have you ever been with me to Joey's restaurant at Sherway? Yeah, I have. Same with them. Like, you walk in there, there is a hiring policy that is based on how attractive these young women are. And as you were about to say, you know, I'm sure that their tips reflect that. Is it time to stop tipping then? Should I just just not tip anymore? No, but that's what Michael said. The transition is very, very difficult. That's That's the struggle. Because, you know, prices have to be adjusted to pay the... You know, it's the chicken or the egg thing. You know what I mean? We have to start paying these people a good living wage. But in order to do that, we have to raise our prices, you know? And if we raise our prices, people are going to complain about yeah. that. Uh, yeah. Yeah, like anything else, Dan, like the, the transition to an electric vehicle, courtesy of evnet.ca, yeah. uh, that transition is going to be a difficult one. By the way, I want to tell you something. I know, if you've, I know you've done it, Fred. Yet The other day when I made this dish, and my brother taught me how to make it before he left, so I wanted to make it for Juliet, this sort of slow, almost, it's, it's, it's a, a bunch of marinated, slow-roasted pork, but I'd never, ever used a slow cooker before. Mm-hmm. Freddie, do you guys use it all the time, right? Um, yeah, yes. Or you have? Yeah, in the winter, in the, yes, yes. Yeah, not, not all the time, but frequently, yes. Because I got to tell you, it was, I never cooked anything. Like six hours later, that was a, you know, pretty good sized hunk of this Mexican pork. And uh, I'd never seen it where it just shredded. It was amazing. Dan, have you ever well, used a slow cooker? Um... Once or twice a long time ago, but I don't I don't do that anymore at all. I just I, I never think about doing it. Lisa does it every once in a while. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna learn to do different yeah. dishes in the slow cooker. Mm-hmm. Do you ever stir a pot with your pecker? Uh, <laughs> I was wondering if we were gonna get to that. What? Do you ever use your pecker as a ladle? <laughs> or back to tipping. Wait, do you ever use your pecker to hang pasta to dry it after you've made it fresh? Mm. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, you know what, Dan? Yeah. This yeah. show wouldn't be oh, complete without it. <laughs> <laughs> fucking nonsense. It is. It's so pathetic. Oh, funny. It's funny. Dan, one let's... of my first jobs, one of my first yes. jobs, I'm just moving on. Please. Uh, one of my first jobs was a, uh, a gas station attendant where I pumped gas mm. and used to get tips every once in a while. That's mm. gone away. In many ways. Oh yeah, I don't, I don't remember that. You, you were doing. Find yeah, Dan, that was the ni- Dan, that was the 1940s, and you were dressed in a uniform, working for Shell or some shit. <laughs> ding ding, and you wore a funny hat, and you'd come over, and people, the other, your other buddy would would clean the windshield. Dan, you just brought back a memory. I remember as a kid, you know, all gas stations were full service when I was a kid before the advent of the self serve, obviously. And the guy would pump the gas. And, you know, if it was like it came to 475 or something, my dad would hand him five and say, keep the chain. Yeah. Yeah. I remember those days. Yeah. The uh, ding ding. The ding that ding. Brought exactly. back a memory for me at uh, the Shell yeah. station I worked at, mm-hmm. Londonary Shell. Ding ding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, uh, well, there was. Full service gas stations in Moose Jaw uh, in my youth. And I do remember or recall that when self-serve became a thing, you know, it was sort of kind of like when ATMs became a thing. You're like, really? I'm, I can do this by myself. I can actually go and 
pump the gas. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, Dan, without further yep. without further ado and delay. No. Here's to a fella named Dan Duran, a hell of a guy with a hella big wang. Ding the quintessential Langerman. His voice is Dan Duran. Dan the Anchorman comes As fast for credentials he has none Can't tell a headline from his bum But his voice is nice and low Dan Duran, the Anchorman's here He's prone to falling off his chair But he's got a big wang so he don't care And his voice is nice and low My voice is nice and low That's, He's got a big wang <laughs> <laughs> so he don't care. Dandaran's News this morning brought to you by RentElectric.ca, the electric vehicle network. Rent one for a day, for a weekend, for a week. Call 1-800-387-9391 and uh, use the uh, voucher Humble EV to get $40 off your first rental. RentElectric.ca at 1-800-387-9391. And now live from some random stranger's house that he's doing work. It's really quite a model you've created where if you want Dan Duran to fix something at your place, you also have to feed and house him. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. it's, mo- great. it's movie anchor Dan Duran. Is the beer store history? Well, there's a, an article in the Star that uh, kind of goes over this a little bit, but you may have heard of this before. It's been going on since 2018, where the Ford government, in their election uh, promises, said that they would allow convenience stores to carry beer and wine. And uh, I've heard, you know, I've read stories over the years, and there, it looks like within a month, the Ford government is expected to announce it's not renewing the Master Framework Agreement which prevents anyone but the beer store from selling beer uh, by the case. And uh, I guess around the province, the the convenience stores will be allowed to do this. Uh, The beer store, by the way, is not a government-owned business like a lot of people do think. It's owned by the three big, huge beer companies, Molson, Labatt, and Sleeman. And the beer store operates about 450 outlets in Ontario. So the uh, a lot of the convenience store uh, owners association they're uh, they're big on allowing it. Uh, a lot of the craft brewers are wanting the same thing because it is said that they just have, they have an unfair advantage. The big companies with the beer stores. I'm, I'm not a big fan of the beer store myself. But, Why is that? Um, you know they they except for the really big ones you, you can't really look at the beer anymore. It's like on the wall you have to look at a bunch of labels and. Hmm. Uh, try and figure out what it is you want by the label, but not even the. They used to have bottles there, and then there's there are sections with the the more popular beers that come down on a conveyor. You can are pull you it are off you pissed off there. because they don't carry your funny world beer that you drink from Absolutely. different parts of the planet? Absolutely. The, Niro- the Nairobian pale ale isn't. <laughs> Dan in there saying, where's the, where the Rwandan wheat beer that I read about? You know the the um. Most of the GTA stores now, I mean, you, you're right in the room with the beer. You can walk around and look at it. Although the one here in Heart Lake, I know what you're talking about. And it makes wanting, like, unique beers a little more difficult to choose when you don't even know they exist, so to speak. Mm. So I know what you're saying. Um, but I'll tell you one, this craft beer thing in Ontario... Um, the price is getting out of hand. And I know I always talk about money and price and stuff Ooh, like yeah. that. But I'll tell you, you and your when people... No, but seriously, I mean, a lot of these nice Ontario craft beers, it's like three seventy-five, three eighty dollars a can, or three dollars and eighty cents a can. It's like it's getting a little too pricey. I have memories of the beer store um, 
you know, toward the end of my drinking frenzy, <clears throat> I remember yeah. taking my, uh, cause you can bring your wine bottles and stuff back to the beer store. And I remember <laughs> creating these elaborate stories. I would tell the beer store staff, <laughs> I'd be like, Oh yeah, we had quite a party this weekend. And then the next weekend I'm like, Oh goddamn, guests came over again. And I'd have like dozens of wine bottles. You know what I do with doll? I play guess the, uh, guess the amount where in the summer here, I have this big bucket under a can crusher. So all summer long, you just finish your beer, you crush the can, you put it in this, uh, mm. you know, this bin. And at the end of the year, I count and put them in a bag to take them to the uh, to the beer store, and we play the game. So how many how many cans, doll, would you guess that I consume this summer? Oh, that and, sounds uh, exciting. Yeah, she's usually she's pretty close. There's like an over you know? under thing, and the, like the price is yes. right, and then do you, <laughs> yes, and oh, fun. Mm-hmm. What was your can count this year? Um. The ones in this this bin was it was 110, and I think she guessed like 125. Oh, dolls! She was under. So she was that's under. Just not. Me. I mean, she was over. That's, that's coolers and everything. Yes, of course. Um, I don't know, man. I I I, I, I so with there. So I, I do recall, like in my farm boy near me on Brown's line there. I they have a beer fr- cooler fridge, whatever. They don't sell. You can't sell. Um, Boxes of beer? What do you call them? Uh, nothing more than a six pack. Oh, nothing more than a six pack. Okay, so mm-hmm. it with and and so if the beer store is gone, they'll be able to sell uh, larger quantities. Dan, is that the idea? Well, there'll be larger quantities, but the convenience stores not had don't have the unless they're an agency store for the LCBO. Uh, right. They don't. They don't have access have at all. To, mm-hmm. yeah, they, they can't have it all. So will they start? Other provinces. What's that? Will convenience stores start being able to sell beer? That's that's the whole point, yeah. Okay, because yeah. other provinces, Just like, yeah, like other provinces do, and there there is a comment from you know some of the pundits or whatever the beer pundits are saying. Well, they, the beer companies should actually be in, in favor of this because in areas where they do allow convenience stores to sell beer, there actually is a higher higher amount of beer sold per capita because of that because it's more available. Which is another question whether or not beer and wine being in convenience stores is a good idea socially for for access reasons for people with addiction problems. Ah, I yeah, I think that's overplayed. But Dan, you are coming along. This was a Ford decision and actually go along with it. I thought, "Oh, Doug Ford bad wrong. Beer stores stay." <laughs> Jesus. Mhm, that's what I, Jesus. Th- mm-hmm, that's what I th- well, yeah. thought I'd hear from you. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, I'm uh, I'm a balanced uh, person when oh, it comes to are. things that make sense. Mm-hmm. When it makes sense, yes, yeah. absolutely, yes. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, Dan, great reporting. Let's uh, let me see if these people are still in the waiting room. Uh, all right, let's. Uh, we're looking for Mark Coakley to join us, Dan. Uh, okay, if you we come back and close the show, we've got more show to go. Okay, more um, show to go. Well, let's see. This uh, is that Mark Coakley. It certainly is. I, nice to meet. Hey, Mark. I, I got. A, I, I, it says Nadia, so I wasn't sure who was waiting. Yes, that's my wife's name. She usually uses this video setup. So, uh, yes. Well, not to I'm worry, my friend. Under Nadia under the the thing, but I'm Mark. Well, don't listen. You, you don't worry, my friend. We're going to give you the big humble and Fred introduction now. Um, I don't know why this isn't playing. One of my, it was a great CFNY song that was going to bring back memories for everybody. It uh, doesn't matter. I'll get to it later. Listen, he is the author of a book called Shroom Boom, Canada's Psychedelic Pioneers. And uh, we spoke earlier about, uh, you know, I said to these guys, Mark, that, I, you know, because I live in the city and 
and I want to talk about sort of the gray market about you know psilocybin and such. Uh, but welcome to the program, the Shroom Boom, Mark. Uh, what can what what could the average Canadian? What should we know about the world of uh, psilocybin and the psychedelic uh, market that is about to explode? There's two sides of it, and you touched on it. One, it's a medical. Uh, element which has incredible powers i am i don't personally believe in the use of psychedelic drug, drugs for recreational purposes i don't judge people who do to me it's a medicine like penicillin if you are faced with severe cancer end-of-life trauma or various other these severe psychological issues i truly believe that psychedelic drugs can be a powerful cure which will change our society in profound ways and make aging easier there's a second side of it the shroom boom refers mm. to the stock market boom which has gone on about psychedelics seems like everybody and their cousin wants to get involved in the psychedelics industry because a it's very powerful like i said but b there's a lot of hype it's a hot new thing on the block what crypto was two years ago what cannabis was four years ago what ai is starting to become now it's the one of the hot topics out there so if you're into the stock market you'll be hearing a lot about psychedelics and if like all of us you're aging you're facing mortality you may deal with sicknesses in your life then you may want to talk to your doctor about maybe psychedelics helping you through that the idea from an investment standpoint get in early or as you can see through cannabis um you know it might yes. ultimately, long term, might not be the best investment. So what's the holdup? If the, medicinally it's so valuable and, and as you say, you know, the, a great, not so much a cure, but a medicine, what's the holdup with it being embraced in Ontario and in Canada? Well, you know, on one hand, there's two ways you can answer that. In one way, you could say it's not being held up because Canada is at the very forefront of psychedelic legalization. We're doing more than any other country can. So if you look at us internationally, we're pretty good. But if you just put that aside, um, Health Canada has been giving exemptions uh, for quite a few years for psychedelic research, for patients with stage four cancer. And... They have been very grudging about it. It's been very unpredictable. So it's very difficult to make a business model when you don't know what the government's going to be doing from one issue from one week to another. Uh, not to get political, it's kind of typical of the dithering that we often see from this government in Ottawa. They, they talk a good talk about supporting psychedelics therapy when it comes to walking in the walk. Uh, not so great. So um, mm-hmm. a few years before legalization of marijuana, the big buzz was, you know, Canopy and all these big companies and a lot of people got in late, as Fred said, and didn't really, you know, make the money that they thought they were going to make. But in terms of recreational use, what would you say? Are we where cannabis was a couple years before legalization? Kind of a gray market. I was telling these guys, I've I've seen places in the city where you can go and buy uh, mushrooms. I've bought mushrooms, uh, microdosing mushrooms. This is years ago when Todd was a mm-hmm. sponsor of the show. I just sent away for it from some place in Vancouver. And you know, we're talking about 100, 150 gram uh, doses. So where are we at in terms of that market? A lot of people think that we're following the basically the exact same path. 
The doors for cannabis legalization were broken up by medical patients. Mm -hmm. They were the first ones in the door. And then recreation followed that way. Like I said, slowly but haltingly, we are working towards a situation of legalization for medical use of psychedelics in Canada. We are slowly but I think inevitably approaching that. A lot of people are counting that uh, the recreational market will open up afterwards and follow the same path of cannabis. Um, You're a... your ex-colleague, Todd Shapiro, mm-hmm. uh, who I believe you guys know from the past, he has a two, his red light uh, company has two prongs. One is medicinal, but he's also interested in exploring the recreational side of it. And you have a few, a few of the bolder companies, I would say, that are openly embracing the recreational. Almost everyone's saying, no, we're just sticking with the medicinal. My personal opinion is that the cannabis uh, market was overhyped and people thought it would be the next prohibition, but a lot more people drink alcohol than people use cannabis. So that wasn't a fair comparison. And comparing psychedelics to cannabis is the same thing. People use very small amounts of psychedelics, even recreational people. You don't do it very often. And uh, unlike alcohol, unlike um, cannabis to a lesser extent, psychedelics are not a habit forming drug. If anyone's using them on a regular basis, they generally have a psychological problem because healthy people don't generally. I mean, I'm not talking about microdosing, mm-hmm. a tiny amount every day. Right. But if you're taking a big trip on Tuesday, you don't want to take a big trip on Wednesday. Yeah. Um, just so I understand here, medicinal, you mentioned cancer. How, how would this play a part in cancer treatment? Actually, it doesn't play a direct role right. unless you talk about the indirect psychological role. What basically psychedelic therapy does is if your mind is stuck in certain ruts, every time you wake up, you start thinking the same thoughts and you go through these same mental processes day after day, which are destructive. Mm-hmm. If there are parts of your life that are important that you're ignoring, it's kind of like the metaphor of a, those snow globes. The, the snow on the bottom is a certain pattern and you shake it up in a psychedelic trip and then it goes yeah. into new patterns. And perhaps the, the tracks that you always went in your thoughts, you can go in different thoughts. So, for example, um, Thomas Hartle, uh, a man with stage four colon cancer living out west, um, he was incredibly frightened what would happen to his children after he died. And he was also overcome with feelings of guilt that he was going to die and his children would have to grow up without him. Through his trips, he dealt with both of those issues. Mm -hmm. And now he realizes that, yes, his children may have some difficulties after he dies, but it's not his fault. And that has given him a feeling of peace. So, And also I've heard of people who are estranged from family members. This can help them realize, you know, we've been arguing for 30 years, but, you know, still my sister, still my brother. So, yeah, because I'm glad Fred asked that question because I was wondering, because we're taught when you say psychedelics, I guess because of the name of the book, A Love's um, Shroom Boom, because of the name, I was just thinking mostly about shrooms. But what are there other psychedelics? Because are are we just dealing with psilocybin? Psilocybin, to me, in my limited knowledge, seems to be the safest and the one that's getting the most uh, attention from scientists. However, there's uh, the granddaddy of psychedelics, LSD, right. which is more powerful than, um, than psilocybin and can lead to more bad trips. But it also has a role to play in therapy. And perhaps it can break through blocks that uh, psilocybin is not strong enough for. There's also MDMA, mm-hmm. uh, also known as molly or ecstasy. And there are a lot of people who believe that in order to make a psilocybin trip more pleasant, you have some MDMA with it. Mm. Because MDMA often gives people feelings of warmth and comfort and safety, which can take the edge off uh, 
a mushroom or a acid trip, which can sometimes be scary. Well, the thing as is- much as I'm an evangelist for the use of these things medicinally, if you take them recreational, even in the wrong conditions medicinally, yeah. you can have a very bad trip that could frighten you, that could scare you. And a few a few mo- weeks ago, a young man in Vancouver took a huge bunch of MDMA and ended up dying. Yeah. Did it cause his death? Was it his heart rate just went through the roof? But anyway, a young man died soon after using this drug. So these are not toys. No, exactly. And, and that's where they differ from marijuana because they, you know, you can take a, you, you, you can't die from overdosing marijuana. I will say this about LSD versus uh, mushrooms. Mushrooms are like LSD with, um, with uh, like a, a safety net because, you know, having done both a little bit, you know, LSD, once this thing starts, you're in it for 10 hours. With psilocybin, yeah. you can have some fun and get in and out of it. Well, you don't, where it doesn't last that long, three or four hours maybe, but you're always able to sort of stop it from, I, I'm not describing it very well. I'm just saying it's a bit of a safety yeah. thing. Um, and I think that's probably the barrier for legalization the way that marijuana was because. As much as the government would like you to think, oh, you shouldn't, you know, drive and get stoned. There's a whole different world between being too high on weed and being too high on LSD or mushrooms. I, exa- I agree with you very much. And the modern way of approaching the use of these drugs is to use them medicinally with psychotherapy beforehand, getting you ready for the trip with a trusted psychological or yeah. possibly friend with you at the time and then afterwards discussing it more with a therapist what lessons have been learned that's very different from taking some random tabs at a grateful dead concert <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> well would you invest <laughs> would you invest in uh, in this well I definitely would have two years ago. Okay. The, the, the boom has sort of cooled slightly. But right. yes, I do believe that this is a valuable um, market which is going places. There is an element of hype, but uh, every new thing has an element of hype. Um, and there's some interesting, I, I write about in my book, Entheon, um, led by Timothy Coe. He's someone who had personal experience with psychedelics helping him deal with the loss of his brother and his own addiction. I talked with Todd Shapiro, and there's Daniel Carcillo. Uh, hockey fans out there may remember Carbomb, notorious from the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh-huh. A, thug, a bully, a racist, and a jerk on, in the hockey place, as he would admit easily. But then when he got out of hockey, his brain was battered to hell. He was in a bad physical and psychological condition, wanted to die. A rich man just wanted to die. And he says that a very large dose of psychedelics administered by another hockey player that helped him come to terms with the damage his brain has suffered and the fact that he's no longer a hockey star Mm -hmm. and that he leaves a trail of people who hate him for 20 years of bullying and hazing in the hockey world. And that led him to make amends. He's going around apologizing to people and he's got a successful business and he seems happy in his own skin. Good story. Um, you also mentioned Humble and Fred in your book. Now, you know, then we don't we don't like to talk about ourselves, but how do you <laughs> yeah, we do. Humble and, yeah. How do you yeah, mention well, Humble and Fred in your book? Well, before I get to that, I got to say it's an honor because uh, oh. I will well, yeah, listen no, dude. to you guys from when you started. <laughs> yeah, take, do actually, and, uh, um, no, Mark, take some time about what a thrill it is to be here with us and then uh, talk about what they say, what you say about us in the book. So go take your time now. Go. Well, I don't really think I need to talk about psychedelics at all. I'd rather give praise to great men. Uh, Keep going. Oh, Very good. Keep going. Okay. Enough of that. No, no, um, no, no. There's more. Do you have any questions for us? 
I'm sitting here not wearing pants. Anyway, go ahead. Um, so how are we mentioned in your book and what page? Um, well, I got the book right in front of me. <laughs> Cheap plug. I think it's 70-something. Um, I are going to go into the bookstore oh, and yeah. rip out that page. And take it. Yeah. Take there was a, a guy, named, guy named Todd Shapiro, who some of your readers may or may not know, was involved with uh, your guy's show in the early years. And oh, then yeah. later he went on to this Dean Blundell guy's show and got some notoriety and had a serious radio show. But it all started when he was on a Canadian dating show and he was chosen to be one of these Canadian daters. Mm-hmm. And then afterwards, he and the other daters were invited onto your guy's show, yes. which was on CFNY. I still call it that because I'm an 80s guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and when he was there, he said he admired you guys and he wanted to uh, volunteer as an intern on your show. And uh, Howard, you're quoted saying, come back tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he did. And I guess he was an intern for a while. He worked his way up. And uh, he did some good things with, on your show. He did some things on the Dean <laughs> Blundell show that he later regretted and apologized for. And now he he doesn't like to be shocking as controversial as he used to be. No, of course. And is a yeah, respectable businessman, though he's a, still an amusing guy to talk to. When I was talking on the phone, he was... You know, like you guys, he's kind of quick-witted and humorous and easy to talk to. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I still didn't get how we were mentioned in your book, but that's fine. Um, Mark? Oh, that story. Oh, that story. Okay. That Mark, story. All of, right. That's how he came to Yeah, but that was a lot about Todd, not friction. very much about us. Maybe you, should write a, <laughs> <laughs> maybe you should write another book where you focus more on Humble and Fred. Mark Coakley. Well, the sequel, the sequel is going to be called uh, Humble and Fred Flip Out on Truths. Yeah, exactly. Well, Mark Coakley. Right. We should have a therapist in the room with exactly. us. Exactly. I thought we had a therapist in the room. I will be your psychedelic guide to you guys. I will Um, hold your hands as you explore your inner world. Appreciate that. Mark Coakley is the author of Shroom Boom, Canada's Psychedelic Pioneers. And at the uh, beginning of the interview, I was trying to play a little bit of the psychedelic furs for you. Oh, yeah. I thought you'd appreciate that as an old CFNY guy. Mark, thanks very much. Oh, thank you, guys. And uh, thank you for the song. Love my way. All right, brother. Take care of yourself. Thanks for give coming our, by. Give our best Thank to you. Nadia. All right, dude. There's Mark Coakley. Just uh, let yourself out and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. All right. Thanks, guys. I'm going to get home. All right. This uh, song, I couldn't tell you the year, but I do always associate this with the beginning of our time together. And, you know, you were already well versed in this music. I wasn't. And bands like the Psychedelic Furs were certainly one of my favorites once I got into it. Yeah, when this song was current, CFNY played weird music. It's funny, all these years oh, yeah. later. Yeah, man. How a song like that would get wide play on you know boom style stations yeah uh yeah this was definitely not part of my world before i came to toronto dan duran is back he's been part of my world since 1978 did we ever do uh, mushrooms together yeah <laughs> yep you know you're yep. you're quite the improv partner after yep have you got anything else anything after? yeah it was uh, i remember it was outside our station radio station in um calgary yep. with sammy james uh, if you remember him as an old radio I do, guy of course, to, yeah. to hang out with. And then, uh, yeah, we were just uh, whatever, I guess it was, what is it, 17th Avenue that that uh, yep. station was on? It was, so it was on 16th or something, the street behind. 
And we got I just all remember in a laughing fit, a laughing fit that we uh, uh, enjoyed for, I don't know, probably half an hour. Never laughed so hard as I have laughed, so laughed on mushrooms. Um, but as far as microdosing goes, I tried it for a while. Rachel and I had sent away for some stuff from Vancouver. And, you know, like, I, it's funny. I was telling somebody about it the other day. At about 100 milligrams, you don't even notice that you've got... It's such a small dose, but it gives you sort of a, a feeling of well-being, but not stoned. About a gram, a gram is a thousand milligrams. What Dan's talking about is when we would do mushrooms, it would be like a gram and a half each of dried mushrooms of the of the magic mushrooms, you know. And uh, get pretty, you get pretty high, but it's a very it's a manageable high. The couple of times I did LSD, it was not manageable. It was fun for the first six hours. By hour eight, you're like, okay, I've had enough of this. That's that's so like LSD. Like I don't know, it's crazy. Like before you take, like obviously, I've never taken anything like that. I've never taken a hard drug in my life. Crazy. Um, before you take LSD, aren't you worried about where where this might take me? Like I, 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 don't know. I was twenty three years that, old. That, no, I, yeah, but so was I twenty three years old, and I lived, you know, within you know work culture where a lot of things were done, but I didn't do it. I was always, I was always afraid of the other end. Isn't that something? Well, I, I uh, you know, I didn't do it a lot of times, but I did it a couple times. Mm-hmm. Uh, was I afraid? I don't know. Twenty three, twenty four year old Howard Glassman, born in the farm in Moose Jaw. I don't know. Fuck, I wasn't afraid of much, my friend. I was mm-hmm. not afraid. Um, I didn't. I would never do. I would never do heroin. Although I. I was around people that had done it. Uh, but mushrooms, like even mushrooms would be, uh, that's a great cottage fun day, mushrooms. Yeah. Yeah. I micro-dosed a bit here. But yeah, it took about, I forget what the dose was. It was 300, I guess, maybe, before I actually felt anything. Did I give those to you or did you buy them yourself? No, my son did. Yeah. Even at 300... Here, Dad, have some fun with this, he said. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But even at 300 milligrams, which is about, you know, like I say, a, a quarter of what you need to get really high, you'd start mm-hmm. to feel something a little sparkly, but very, very mild. Um, that's what this... Again, I, I think what's going to happen is these little these little stores that are open in Toronto, they're, they're selling 50, 100, 150 gram microdoses of it. But I don't see uh, LSD being legal anytime soon. Mm. Fred's son is his, his dealer. Fred's son is his <laughs> dealer. Right. He is. He buys me the chocolate bars and stuff. Hey, um, Dan, did you ever do LSD? No, I was afraid oh. of it. Yeah, of yeah. course. Like me, yeah. like a preacher's son? No, yeah. a preacher's son. Um, yeah, I do remember distinctly because I, uh, I did it with Sammy, this guy that um, Dan's talking about. Because we tried mushrooms and we said, hey, let's try some acid. And uh, it was very, very fun and adventuresome. <clears throat> except I do recall later in the day just wanting it to be over. And I got very anxious, which is why one of the reasons I never liked to do it too much. You know, in the early 70s, Winston Churchill Collegiate Institute, you know, guys were selling hits of acid out of their lockers for like $2. And I had a few friends that did it and loved it and thought it was great and neat and fun. And I mm. just could never. Well, maybe it was the two bucks. But yeah, you're right. You know, <laughs> if you could get a deal. I'll bet you Buddy Doug did it. I just it. could never go there. Did Buddy Doug do it? Uh you know what? I can't definitively sit here and say yes, but 
to my recollection. Um, yeah, I, I'll say maybe. Yeah. He was a little more adventurous than I was. Um, thanks to uh, Mark Coakley and uh, thanks to Michael Smith. That was great. Uh, tomorrow on the program, we were finally going to get to speaking of your son, to your son's buddy, Sean Menard, who has done a great documentary on uh, much music. I think anyone that grew up in the uh, Toronto area or across Canada, I should say, in the 80s and the 90s and what much music meant to everybody uh, mm-hmm. will be uh, it'll be of interest. And uh, of course, the retirement Sherpa will be with us tomorrow. Yes, he will. And we will touch on uh, some of the most common investing mistakes. Uh, this comes from the uh, uh, CFA, which is the Chartered Financial Analyst. <laughs> analyst. Are, you, are you okay with Chartered her? Financial <laughs> Analyst Stroke. 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 Strokey boy. <laughs> uh, Institute. Yeah, we're going to touch on uh, some of the most common Chartered. investing mistakes. Very interesting Did because, count? you know, you have to watch what you're doing. And another reason you need a guy. Tim Niblett is a investor. Is a stroke portfolio manager. Fucking is a portfolio manager. Is a portfolio manager. Raymond James, a member of the Canadian Investors Protection Fund, as you know. Sorry for that, Tim. But I don't know. Sorry, Tim, that I had a that my face started to droop. It's difficult to comprehend. And really, it's almost impossible to get your head around the variety of uses of boron in construction, manufacturing, medicine, science, pharmaceuticals, telecommunications, space travel, space, communication, satellites, specialty metals, battery technology, and more. Why are we talking about boron one? I'll tell you why, because they support this program. And we would like you to be aware of them. Get your uh, retirement Sherpa. Get our retirement Sherpa to uh, look at what this company is doing, as I've said a bunch of times. Very few places on Earth where boron is commercially uh, mined. And uh, boron one has got to the end of a long journey that a lot of junior mining companies go through. Thousands of them. Almost none get to the point that this company is at now. Do your due diligence and find out for yourself what's going on at Boron One. Go to BoronOne.com. Uh, Dan, any final thoughts? Any uh, things you'd like people to contemplate before we uh, get out of here for yet another day? And and you get to well, go to what you're doing, whatever it is you do. I, yeah, the next thing I do. Yeah. No, I, you know, I've got some stories tomorrow that I'm looking forward to uh, talking about. There's bad boy furniture and bankruptcy. Yes. There's that. Oh, and there's, really? Mm-hmm. You know, oh. There's a sports story that I'll share with Fred that has something to do with guy wearing underwear, the same underwear. All I'm sorry. Time. So, and then, you, um, so when you share that story, would you like me to leave? You're only going to share that yeah, with Fred? <laughs> well, he's the sports guy. No, he no, but you sports. said you're going to share it with Fred. What should I do while you're sharing it with Fred? Yeah, why no, couldn't fr- you share a sports story with Howard? He's, yeah. you know, it's no. Oh, you misunderstand. Howard. No, no, Once I'm again, curious. You're misunderstanding. No, you said, I'm, I'm going to share a sports with story with Fred. Should I just get out? Of, should I just close down? Here, I'll just get out of the <laughs> fucking <laughs> room. You misunderstand. You misunderstand. Okay. I'm sharing the story with Fred so Fred could bring it to the show because he has more. Oh, you're going to send the story. Yes. Okay. 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 Send the story to Fred. I'm sending okay. it to Fred. Well, I have a big, I have a big dick story that I'm only going to share with you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there is that the story about youth uh, participation in uh, sports. No. 
Okay. Is that this, the, you're asking me this question? Yeah, I'm asking you a okay, question. Okay, yeah. That has no, something no. to do with underwear. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's something to do with underwear, yeah. Well, we got a lot to look forward to on tomorrow's show. I had a, yeah. We didn't even get into the uh, McCowan Center. Uh, what's it called? Bob McCowan fucking... <laughs> Senior Center. What's the name of your place that oh, you go Bob to? Bob Callahan. Bob Callahan. Yeah. Bob yeah. Callahan Senior Center. Yeah, well, I read an article, eh? Speaking of Bobby, he's struggling, eh? Yeah, I heard that. That's too bad, man. Yeah. Who is he? Bob, Bob McCowan. McCowan. Yeah. He's afraid he? that uh, he still's not... Who's he? Really? Wow. Was that the senior center is named after? No, no. Bob Callahan is the senior center. Oh, okay. McCowan. Bob McCowan oh, Bob is the Cowan. guy from the sports. Yes, yes, uh, yes. It's, it's actually Bob McCown. There's too many Bob McCown. Um, yeah, he can, he's not getting around very well, and his speech is still slurred, and he's quite concerned. Not sure he's ever going to get back losing a lot of weight. Hmm. Sad. Sad story. Where did you read that? Mm, what was an article I saw? It was in the Star, I believe. Somebody sent me. That's too bad. Um, is it just a time thing? Like it's going to take more time to well, recover? he doesn't know. He's concerned about that. He thought by now he would be a little more progressed, uh, so to speak. But no. You know, when lots of anyway. people... He's, he's a wonderful man. And we should, you know, we should reach out to him somehow. Well, I did a couple of weeks ago. I sent him a note. I said, how are you doing? And he said, not, you know, getting there. Okay. Well, then I'll, great, I'll reach out to there. him. Yeah, you should. I will. As a matter of fact, in this article, it's in, eh, interesting. Hang um, on. Hang on. It was actually a bit sad. I was thinking about this, and if you were home, I would definitely do it. Not that I can't do it on my own. But he said when it first happened, you know, he got so many messages and so many people dropped by to see him. But like anything else, right, mm-hmm. you're on to the next thing. And he's just a little lonely right now and spends a lot of time, again, alone. Can't do his podcast because his speech isn't up to snuff. So I thought, well, you know, I'm going to send it. Yeah. Nice, if I was a nice guy, I'd get in the car, go down and see him. Well, if I was home, we should go. We would go over together. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe when you get home in December, we'll do that. Yeah, we will. I, you know, I'm going I'm to send him in a little note today mm-hmm. um, and uh, tell him I'm thinking about him. Okay. Uh, Dan, for one, one, one more time before we go today, I just want to say life would be a lot easier on this planet if we all just called it an infa. Ta-da! <laughs> This episode of Humble and Fred was brought to you by the Retirement Sherpa, the Chambers Plan, Boron One, evnet.ca, Palma Pasta, Bodog, and Kelsey's. For contests and comments, and we read all of our emails, as you know, that Thursday email show, Humble and Fred at humbleandfredradio.com. Once again, Humble and Fred at humbleandfredradio.com. So tell us what you think and tell your friends about us. Get them to subscribe, maybe even send them a podcast. You know, share. Share. Sharing school. For Humble and Fred, I'm Dan Duran. And remember, don't let a guy ruin your evening ritual with a sunset challenge. Watch that sun go down every night after you enjoy every goddamn day. Bottles and cans, just clap your hands, just clap your hands. Where's that?